Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. God be good if there's suffering in this world? And on a completely different note, why did we only choose 27 books for the New Testament when there were many others to choose from? And then we call these the Word of God, yet we chose them? These are two questions we'll be addressing today for In Doubt. If it's the first time you are listening, then let me, Isaac, be the first to say welcome. In Doubt exists to bring the gospel to the relevant issues of life and faith that we face every day, cultivating conversation. Every week we release a brand new conversation with a special guest talking about any and all issues we find ourselves in in everyday life and then applying the gospel to them. So, as many of you get ready for classes in college and university for the spring semester, allow this week and next week's conversations prepare you to be bold in your faith. Because unlike what the Discovery Channel may suggest, there are very intelligent reasons for why we believe what we believe as Christians. Anyways, here's our conversation with Andreas Kostenberger. With me today is Andreas Kostenberger. Andreas is Senior Research Professor of New Testament and Biblical Theology at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, He's also written just a host of books, uh, including, I mean, when you look up some of these books that he's written, uh, Greek helps, commentaries, uh, different theological teachings on different subjects and so on. Uh, Anyways, it's just a great joy to have you with us today, Andreas. Great to be with you, Isaac. Thanks for having me. For sure. Um, You know, before we sort of jump into this uh, sort of two-week series uh, kind of based around a book that you read, which we'll get into in a moment, um, I'd I'd first love just to hear uh, a bit of your story. You know, looking on Wikipedia, I saw that you were, you know, you weren't born in North America, so there's some story there. Um, Why don't you just take some time and share with us a little bit about who you are? Absolutely. So I I, uh, was born in Vienna, Austria, and uh, I grew up uh, Roman Catholic. Uh, but, uh, you know, like so many of my friends, uh, high school and college, I was pretty much as, you know, moving as far away from religion as, as, as possible. Uh, religion or Christianity was probably the last thing I would have looked to for answers uh, in those years. And uh, uh, yet I, I felt empty inside. I, you know, saw broken relationships all around me and then that was looking in for answers in the arts and philosophy and various you know pursuits intellectual and otherwise even existentialism and then yet my you know my heart was still empty and so one weekend I I boarded a, a train to to Venice just to get away and uh, providentially met uh, an American opera student who uh, you know read some portions of scripture from. Uh, actually, the book of Galatians, chapter 5, on the fruit of the Spirit and, and our sinful nature. And, and, and somehow, Scripture triggered a, a longing in my heart to, to know God. And so when I came back to Vienna, I got myself a Bible, and I, I read through it. Uh, uh, so, you know, I, I had such a kind of pent-up 
hunger for for God's word, and and it took me several months to to realize that I I didn't just need God to help me uh, live a better life or become a better person, but that I was a sinner who needed the salvation that that Christ had to offer by dying on the cross for my sins, and so. Uh, you know, coming at this from a Roman Catholic background, it, it, it was not as e- easy to understand that I could have a personal, direct relationship with God in Christ. And yet, uh, I, by God's grace, I, I eventually understood that, that there's nothing I needed to do. Christ had already done everything for me. And so just the marvelous understanding of, of grace. And I, you know, once I received Christ and uh, I, I told all my family, my friends about my new discovery and, and many of them were either not interested or said well it can't be that simple you know uh you, you got to do something to to earn God's favor so uh in any case uh you know um I, I've never been the same I I sold an apartment I'd inherited I came to seminary to the United States and uh felt a strong call to the ministry and and ended up earning my PhD and uh, then uh, taught first in Canada and then in the United States, uh, New Testament. Uh, Love the Gospel of John in particular, and uh, uh, very grateful uh, for for God to to really transform my life. Those who knew me before I became a Christian would would tell you that I'm certainly not the person I used to be. You know, before I accepted Christ. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for sharing that. I, I think it's so fascinating, too, to hear different stories of testimonies of God's salvation with people and the fact that you're on this train, you know, and this, you know, American person that was in opera. It's just so interesting to hear that that was the starting point, the seed that was planted to to such a life as yours. So fascinating. So in, in tw- 2014, let's jump in here, uh, Andreas. In, in 2014, you, along with uh, a couple other authors and uh, teachers, Daryl Bach and uh, Josh Chatra, wrote a book called Truth Matters, Confident Faith in a Confusing World. Uh, and it was sort of a more simple overview uh, of another book you guys wrote together called uh, Truth in a Culture of Doubt. So after going through the majority of the book, um, I I can kind of summarize it this way, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, Andreas, but this is what I kind of felt after I I read it. When it comes to skeptical statements about the lack of good evidence of maybe God, Christianity, about the Bible, you you only need to dig just a little deeper to find that their their statements are really quite maybe unscholarly. What what are your thoughts on me saying that? Well, I think, uh, you know, those of us who uh, have a high view of Scripture, who believe that the Bible uh, speaks truth and is 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 God's word, uh, often are presented as you know naive and and uh, not very scholarly or or intellectual. And and yet, my co-authors and I would argue that believing in Christ and Christianity, uh, there's solid evidence uh, for. Uh, matters such as uh, the resurrection of Christ or uh, the truthfulness of, of Christianity, uh, creation, uh, the Bible and its truthfulness and so forth. And so uh, what we're pointing out in our book is essentially that that, that those who uh, teach in a university setting uh, and who, who claim to, to be more intellectually sophisticated uh, and scholarly often don't believe because there's not sufficient evidence, but just because of uh, some deep-seated skepticism on their part. And so 
Uh, we open our book with a with a you know a introduction which we call skepticism 101 just for people to understand there's a difference between doubt and skepticism and doubt i think can lead to faith but skepticism is doubt hardened to the point that whatever it touches turns into unbelief and so we found it's very hard to dislodge a skeptic because a skeptic has basically decided not to believe no matter what the evidence. Yeah, that's so that's so good. Um, so you've organized this book, you and your fellow uh, co-authors, you've organized this book into these sort of six sections that sort of debunk some commonly held notions of this kind of inability to trust in the Bible or the historical Jesus and on different po- uh, parts of Orthodox Christianity. And, and, and this is mostly for listeners, but you, you bring up this guy named Bart Arman, which you've just said, um, and you sort of base these six skeptical statements around his own statements that are quite popular through different books and, you know, different talks that he's given. So for those unfamiliar with uh, with Bart, can you just give us a little backstory on him? Very brief, because I think it's actually interesting for listeners to know that, you know, obviously he used to be a Christian and so on. Absolutely. He started out uh, conservative, I think went to Moody Bible College, which is a conservative Bible college in uh in the Chicago area, uh, and then went to uh, Wheaton, I believe, uh, for college, and later to Princeton University. And then, and th- at that point, he he started uh, doubting uh, the reliability of Scripture, and it ended up being a, a slippery slope uh, to the point that he now would call himself an agnostic, uh, who doesn't even, you know, necessarily believe that there is a God at all, and. Uh, uh, his field is text criticism, which is a fairly technical uh, uh, profession that has to do with the transmission of, of the text of Scripture and whether or not it can be trusted. But 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 uh, he really has evolved into a person who writes book on all kinds of subjects, and, and probably the most important one being uh, one called God's Problem, where he deals with uh, suffering, and and there he reveals that his real problem with with God and with Jesus and with the Bible is not the text of Scripture at all, but it's really uh, all the uh, the incredible suffering that, that that we witness in this world and that makes it hard for him to believe that, uh, uh, you know, if, if God's there, then, you know, why does he not care and, and, and do something about uh, all this mess on earth? Yeah, that's so good. And, you know, this is a perfect segue because let's let's get started into some of these different uh, sort of skeptical notions and things like that. And for the remaining time in this episode and the next week as well, we're going to be looking at these things. Um, And I'll quote from Armin and then uh, Andreas will unpack that a bit and then we'll just have a conversation about it. So let's start this. Uh, This is a quote that is quoted right at the beginning of chapter two of uh, Andreas's book, Truth Matters. And it's a quote from Barton. It says this. The God I once believed in was a God who was active in the world. He saved Israelites from slavery. He sent Jesus for the salvation of the world. He answered prayer. He intervened on behalf of his people when they were in desperate need. He was actively involved in my life, but I can't believe in that God anymore because from what I now see around the world, he doesn't intervene. So this whole problem of suffering, uh, how have you thought through this, Andreas? Well, it was kind of interesting uh, because, you know, we hesitated to start our book that way because in some ways that's the hardest chapter and you don't want to start a book, you know, uh, turning people away just because uh, the issue of suffering clearly is a complex one. There's 
there's simply no easy answer. But we became convinced that for people like Bart Ehrman and many college students, that is really the foundational issue. And so we decided, even though it's maybe the hardest chapter in the book, uh, that's the proper place to start. Uh, that said, I, I don't think there is a one word answer to you know the question, why does God not intervene with all the suffering uh, on earth? But there are answers, we believe. And I think the place to start is that we tend to blame others for all our problems, including God. But the Bible says that we made a mess on earth, not God. The uh, Bible calls that the fall when the first man and woman rebelled against God. And as we all know too well from mistakes we've made, when we sin, there will be consequences. And in the case of the fall, there were consequences in our relationship with God, broken relationship with other people, need reconciliation, and even on the physical universe. Uh, so some will ask, well, then, why did God create us if he knew we would make such a mess? And, you know, that's a lot of conversations I've had with people. That's the obvious question. And as a parent, I would say, well, then if you're a parent, why did you decide to have children? Because, you know, you probably knew or at least you should have known that they'd make a mess, right? <laughs> Once in a while. Uh, and I think the answer is because you believed that it was still worth it. And so I think God created us, even though he knew we'd mess up, because for some reason, amazingly, he still believed that it was worth it. What's kind of interesting, though, too, is that, you know, uh, th this sort of, uh, you know, subject in all the different six kind of subjects you talk about in the book is really different than all the rest, because the other ones deal a little bit more with, you know, uh, sort of almost in a sense, historical, scientific kind of reliability, manuscripts, things like that, which we'll get into. But this is more of a, a moral kind of issue. And, you know, a lot of young adults are struggling with believing in God because, you know, how could he let all these bad things happen? But as you say in the book and you talk about, um, isn't it sort of a, a moral, I mean, you're kind of going in circles. Yeah, you really put yourself in the position of judge in a way, and you decide what's fair and what's unfair. And somehow uh, you and others, you know, you look at them, you know, just as victims. And I think the truth is, as we talk about in our book, you know, there's not one reason why people suffer or why suffering occurs. There, there's at least, you know, five or six that you could think of right off the top of your head, such as in some cases, you simply suffer because, you know, you made a mistake. Uh, you know, maybe you drove too fast and you you lost control of your car. You got into an accident. You know, you basically, you know, you need to accept responsibility. And if your car is totaled, well, the reason was you drove too fast. In other cases, uh, we may be the victims of somebody else making uh, a bad decision and, uh and, you know, there, then there may be hurricanes, you know, natural disasters, sometimes hard to know, you know, where's God in all of this? So in other words, my point is, there's not a monolithic way to, to uh, answer the question, why does suffering occur in a specific instance? So we need to be open to decide on a case-by-case -case basis. And the, the fact is, there's a certain mystery to suffering. Uh, in some cases, we will not know for certain why a tragedy happens. But uh, the way I look at it, what a great opportunity to speak about the central message of the Bible, which is the cross, where God in Jesus Christ 
accepted responsibility for our sin when he sent Jesus to die for us, which is a supreme act of love and self-sacrifice. This is incredible news, you know, what we call grace. So I think rather than blame God for problems that we're ultimately responsible for, we should be deeply grateful for the solution that God provided and for his grace and for his love. Certainly that's what I discovered, as I told you, when I, you know, met that witness on the train and then read the Bible, I, I just was overwhelmed by God's grace and, and his love for me in Christ. That's so good. And, and, you know, to take on to that, you say, you quote in the book, uh, you know, the real mystery is not that we suffer. The mystery is that he's ever let us enjoy any blessing at all. The simple pleasure of a smile, a laugh, a walk in the grass, the strength for an afternoon workout, the warmth of family and friends, and so on. Uh, it's really incredible to think of his grace. And that's sort of almost unfair because, and I, I kind of want you to touch on this. I think for a lot of young adults, this idea that, you know, do bad things happen to good people? The Bible's answer is they don't, you say. And that's pretty radical for a lot of young adults who don't really believe in maybe the doctrine of original sin or anything like that. So That is a little bit tricky for people to understand that we are already born in sin. As David says in one of the Psalms, in, in, in sin my mother conceived me. So that, uh, you know, to us it may not appear fair that when the first people sinned, somehow sin was passed on and spread to all of humanity. But uh, in the end, uh, the cross is not fair either. And so I think uh, uh, ultimately we, we, you know, we sin because we're sinners. And so we need to accept that we're born, just like we're born into a certain family, certain parents, certain, uh, you know, culture, race, gender, and so forth. Uh, we're also born with this uh, sinful nature. And so what the Bible says is that uh, God, like, we need to be reconciled to God. So when I was a college student, I like to think of myself as some sort of a neutral observer who just kind of sat back and watched the world go by. And uh, and then I realized, no, I, I had sin in my heart, and I needed God to help me address that problem. I couldn't just you know, sit back and, and just watch everyone else. Uh, I had to, I was called to respond to what God had done for me in Christ. Yeah, that's that's so good. Uh, for the remaining of this uh, episode here, Andreas, I think we can go through one more uh, and then we'll finish this up. So the next one's a little bit more. Again, I just want to say this, listeners, and to Andreas as well, this is, we're definitely just scratching the surface of these big these big subjects that obviously there's way more research and, and things that have been done, but we just want to give a, a sort of a quick sort of scrape of some of these things to get your mind thinking. So the next notion is this. Um, it's more about the the biblical books, and uh, I know for one friend of mine, uh, that was one of the issues that kind of made them sort of go down the slippery slope until they don't call themselves a Christian anymore. It was this idea that, you know, men sort of just picked the books that they wanted from the Bible, the 66 or the 27 New Testament books, you know, sometime in the 3rd or 4th century, and that's the inerrant word of God, these ones that man picked. So in this, Bart Ehrman quotes this, What if the New Testament 
contained not Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, but the Gnostic teachings Jesus delivered to his disciples after his resurrection? What if it contained not the letters of Paul and Peter, but the letters of Ptolemy and Barnabas? What if it contained not the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the Gospels of Thomas, Philip, Mary, and Nicodemus? So in him saying this, Andreas, he's giving the impression that there were a host of these books floating around, letters and things like that, and that we just sort of compiled the ones that we wanted. How would you address this? Yes, again, uh, it's another skeptical question, and uh, it, it, it is born out of this uh, distrust toward uh, believers saying that, uh, in the end, uh, truth is merely a function of, of, of sociology, if you will, that that it was only a matter of ecclesiastical power of the Roman church in the you know, third or fourth century that, that, that basically decided certain books conformed to their preferred beliefs and then they elevated them to biblical status as opposed to uh, certain books inherently bearing the mark of divine inspiration. So I just want to point out that even someone like Bart Ehrman or uh, other critical scholars who claim to be uh, neutral, like I did, you know, before I became a Christian, who, who, who claim to be, uh, you know, dispassionate observers. When you ask Bart Ehrman, he says, I'm just a historian. Well, and I'm saying, well, but what are your presuppositions? You know, what is your ideology that 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 you bring to the table and and i would say it's very important to realize that we all have those presuppositions so that's why it's important for us okay well if we're historians let's look at the historical evidence and uh, in truth matters we talk about things such as canonical lists we have the moratorian canon which is dated to around 180 AD, very early, which has a list of, of, of canonical books. And guess what? It only includes, when you talk about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's no word about any Gnostic Gospels, such as the Gospel of Thomas, at all. Uh, you also have the Church Fathers quoting only from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as Scripture, Irenaeus, who also uh, flourished in the late 2nd century, around 180 said it's just as natural to have four Gospels as it is to have the four corners of the earth or, or the four winds. Uh, and again, uh, his point was Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were already decided upon uh, as alone worthy of being included in the New Testament. I think the root fallacy in, in the argument of Bart Ehrman is that just because words such as canon or orthodoxy were not coined until uh, a little bit later in early church history, like second, third century, uh, the notion of canon or the notion of orthodoxy were absent from the early decades of the Christian church. And I would say that's manifestly false. Bart Ehrman, he wrote a book, uh, Lost Christianities, and another book, Lost Scriptures. And so when you when you look at the table of contents of lost scriptures, for example, uh, I think he dug up 17 Gospels. That's all, 17, not 80 or, or you know, 150, 17. And if you go through them one by one, they fall by the wayside, you know, one after the other. There's the secret Gospel of Mark, which almost certainly uh, is a hoax that's been unmasked as, as having been written only, uh, you know, maybe 50 years ago. 
There's infancy gospels that only speculate about the gaps in the biblical records, just wondering what it was it like when Jesus played in the sandbox with, you know, with some of his fellow toddlers. Uh, clearly apocryphal. There's other gospels like the Gospel of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas should really not be called gospel. It's a misnomer because it is actually a, a sayings gospel. It just has 114 sayings of Jesus. So I think people need to understand that there's really no serious rival to the four biblical gospels. And I think the main thing, and I conclude with this, uh, only Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written in the first century. All the rival gospels are written in the second or later century. So there's a very important gap. And that gap is important because uh, only Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John include eyewitness testimony that goes back directly to the apostles, the, the 12, the, the inner circle of Jesus' followers. That's that's very very helpful. Thank you so much, Andreas. And and as uh, Andreas said in the book, uh, he they sort of list out some of these uh, other books that were in circulation, and they sort of give a a quick little summary of them to really help the reader, to really help you see that they are a lot different uh, than, let's say, the Synoptic Gospels and John and things like that. But we're going to have to wrap this up for this week. Um, thank you so much, Andreas. Um, if you want to hear more, definitely pick up Truth Matters, Confident Faith in a Confusing World. Uh, it's very good. It's also short. So if you're busy with school and maybe you're just married and maybe having children, who knows where you're at in life. Uh, it's a short book. So I definitely uh, encourage you to pick that up. Also, biblicalfoundations.org. Uh, it's just a great sort of resource library that uh, Andreas has started. Uh, so you can find that online for lots of different uh, theological helps and classes and things like that. I'll put all the links to the book and the sites and all that kind of stuff up on the episode page. But anyways, thank you so much, Andreas. I look forward to hearing from you next week. Absolutely. Great to be with you. That was Andreas Kostenberger, who we were so glad to have with us on the show. Again, all the links relevant to today's conversation will be on the episode podcast page on our site. But I'm going to first verbally point out that Andreas's ministry site is biblicalfoundations.org. Uh, you can find a lot on his site on a variety of biblical subjects like apologetics, marriage and family, uh, and mission and discipleship and more. So you'll definitely want to go and check that out. Now, we'd love for you to connect with us. Firstly, subscribe to our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and never miss an episode. Also, leave us a review if, you're, if you've enjoyed this conversation with Andreas or if you've enjoyed a past conversation. As you know, that definitely helps spread the message out there uh, when you leave us reviews. And also, follow us online and chat with us. We're here to talk with you, to hear from you. Let us know specifically what topic or subject on life or faith that you're working through, uh, whether it's dating, uh, civil disobedience, relational issues, theological Logical topics like God's sovereignty, why suffering exists, uh, hell, um, how God created the world, anything like that. Um, also, if there's a guest that you'd like us to chat with about a certain subject, uh, you can also reach out to us. Uh, you can find us and talk to us and connect with us through Facebook direct message, tweeting us, or commenting under one of our Instagram photos. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we chat with Andreas again as we engage some more skeptical ideas regarding Christian truth. We hope you'll join us. See you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. 
We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hi, Ben Lowell, Director of Good News Global Media's In Doubt. If you listen to today's program, you're either a young person looking to understand how the Bible speaks to current issues of life, faith, and culture, or you're someone passionate to see young people grow in their walk with Jesus and understand the Bible. We want to thank you for being with us and encourage you to touch base by emailing info at indoubt.ca or in the U.S., info at indoubt.com. Also, we want to let you know that Indoubt is a ministry that only exists through the support of donors. So every gift of any amount means so much. For more information, visit indoubt.ca or in the U.S., indoubt.com.